0: This episode is scripted by John Ruths and Newell Fisher and is narrated, recorded and edited by Newell Fisher. Hello and welcome to the Watership Down podcast episode 42 in which we will be going through chapter 40, The Way Back. First of all though, a late promotion to the podcast's Ausler. Going through early episodes last week, I realised that I have not acknowledged one of the first people to give a positive shout-out about it. These really made a difference. So, welcome to the Owsler, Natty Plavin. For conspicuous services to scouting unknown territory, please consider yourself very much a part of the inaugural membership. You are hereby awarded early evening Silphlay and all the cowslips you desire. Chapter 40 The Way Back The pre-chapter quote is from English poet Walter de la Mare. Most of Adam's selected quotes have an element of foreshadowing, and this one certainly has. It's all about a grinning wolf being outside of the door of Dame Hickory. Upon first reading, we don't know why it's there, but it's a foreboding snippet from the poem. I think it's fascinating that Adam's took the time to give us a hint, but just a little one. At this point, what else could threaten Watership Down besides the now very upset and embarrassed Efrafans? When you read this quote, you not only get the feeling of an impending threat, but also of unfinished business. This chapter opens with the sad news that the Efrafan doe Thrayon Losa has died in the night. She's the rabbit who, beside Speedwell, was wounded when the boat hit the first of the two bridges in Chapter 39. So even in this mostly victorious moment, something sad has happened. Hazel feels bad about this, and so does Thethuthinang, who encouraged her to join in the recent, recent escape. As is the case with many animals, Threan Losa went to be by herself as she died. In his notes on this chapter, John Ruth told me about a cat he once lived with who did this, having first been very affectionate. It is such a poignant behaviour among animals. To his credit, Hazel contemplates the departure of Threan Losa just the way you'd hope a leader would. In Hazel's thoughts, he sees two things that went against them in their escape that could have defeated it. The efficiency of the Afrofans was one factor. He also sees the storm as a negative factor. It was, as the bad, of, as the bad effects of weather impact all pretty equally. However, we know that the storm and even the build-up to it really helped Bigwig and the escapees. Interesting that Richard Adams thought to add that perspective. Obversely, he also recognises factors that made the plan work out, mainly Kihar. However, we must assume that Hazel does not yet know all that occurred within Afrafa. Again, he could only see what he could, and it's quite understandable what his present point of view is. Hazel consults with Blackberry, and determines that it is time to continue to head towards Watership Down, as the other does are getting preoccupied with the body of Threan Losa. This is also the moment when Kihar announces that he will soon depart for the Pig Vata. After all, they've been through, and Hazel's idea of cooperation working out so well Hey Kihar's has grown into a true ally. It is a poignant moment. Bigwig makes it a a point to tell him to please remember to come back to Watership Down. Kihar's response about swooping down and frightening all the little pigwigs is a pretty sophisticated response. Besides agreeing to come back, it also says that Kihar believes that Bigwig will be around to father kittens of his own. When Kihar flies away, it's very nice that he makes it a point to swoop down over the rabbits, another way of saying goodbye, I'd guess. A great little piece of closure there, as Bigwig repeats part of the charm he used to get a message to Kehar while he was in Ephrafer. Then Hazel and Bigwig see a man in his garden looking at them. Knowing that it'll be a tough keeping the, their rabbits away from it, they decide to leave, even though the effects of Bigwig's shoulder wound and Hazel's leg are taking their toll already. Adams uses this chapter to tell us more about Blackavar. He's not just a browbeaten prisoner. His personality contains bits of both his former Ephraim captain father and also his mother, who hailed from the invaded warren at Nutley Copse. What does this mean? Just that Blackavar is complicated, like many of us can be, with perspectives that can seem at odds with one another. We learn again about how Blackavar had previously encouraged the escape of the Efrafin does. At least some of this, probably due to his mother's blood, may have derived from the fact that Blackavar may have been viewed prejudicially by the Afrafan Council. Well, at least Blackavar felt that way, and he went from a member of the Afrafan alsler to a rebel. Blackavar is proving himself to Hazel and the group. He's a wide patrol veteran and seems quite comfortable out in the wilderness. He also has a frankness, much like bigwigs. They have been travelling back for two or three days by this point, and there is an idea to hang tight for a day or two and dig some temporary scrapes. You have to wonder if the bucks of Watership Down are anxious to get to know the does in a more intimate way. They are now close to a copse near Caesar's Belt, west of where they crossed it on the way to Rafrafa. Blackabar and our trusty dandelion come back from a sort of mini-patrol. Blackovar argues against the idea of stopping here, stating that this area is fox country. Foxes, of course, are not only a lil, but one of the more clever and dangerous enemies that any rabbit will ever have. While Hazel is building up respect for Blackovar, his behaviour is starting to get on Bigwig's already already somewhat frazzled nerves. Bigwig and Blackovar argue, but Blackovar is on the defensive. Bigwig is being a bit petty towards him. This is tough on Blackavar, who sees Bigwig as the hero who effected the escape that he himself did not pull off. Adams adjusts Blackavar's pronunciation, calling it his Efraffan accent. More wonderful attention to detail, and the only indication in the book of differences in accents between Warrens. The does are already starting to look more healthy, somewhat proving that the Ephraffen system was breaking down, just as Izenthay felt. There is a bit of a holiday spirit. And then... Just as Hazel and Bigwig are talking about how well things are going, a fox appears out of nowhere and quickly swoops off with a doe. The wind shifts and the smell of fox inundates the rabbits. This is now two does that have been sadly lost, and for this second loss we don't even get the doe's name. I believe this makes this chapter the only one in the book in which more than one rabbit verifiably dies as part of the contemporaneous narrative, as well as being the first chapter in the book to feature any contemporaneous death making it the deadliest chapter in the whole book in those terms. Though chapter one obviously refers to the most deaths via the accounts of the destruction of Sandalford Warren by Holly and Bluebell. When I recorded episode 29 on death in Watership Down, I completely missed the death of this doe, even though the place where it happens is the last location marked on the map at the front of the book. When I realised this, I decided to wait until I covered this chapter to, to discuss this for ease of reference. So the revised book Death Toll, including Woodwort, is 12 with two being killed by a fox rather than one. This makes foxes just as dangerous as dogs for rabbits in the book, second only to humans. More dangerous than dogs if you accept the theory that Woundwort survived. So Blackavar's warning was not heeded, and a doe paid with her life. Blackavar makes a comment that shows both his seasoning outside of the warren and his rightness when he states, quote, Fancy feeding under bushes on the windward side of a wood, end quote. Compared to the death of Thrayon Losa, the passing of this doe is dealt with in a much more truncated and pragmatic way. The group moves on for nearly a mile, which is quite a distance for a rabbits. When they stop, Bigwig, who is past his irritation and is quite himself again, makes a statement that is quite contrite. Black of not only does not gloat, but more or less pretends to not remember that he would given smart advice that was not taken. After he heads off to feed, Heisenthle, who is really an orator of sorts for Ephrafer, explains that the way Blackavar acted was the norm in f Once an idea is rejected, no further reference is made to the fact. John Ruth, in his draft script, comments, I can see why. I totally get this, because we sometimes act quite similarly in the Army. During planning and even rehearsals, we discuss and debate how an operation is to be performed. We weigh the risks and rewards of actions. We apply force protection measures, but when the way forward is decided, we stop discussing and just concentrate on the mission, end quote. In a militarised warren such as Ephrafa, behaving this way would probably be the most sensible course of action. Heisenthelay does not think like this because, as she states matter-of-factly and humorously, she's a doe. This smacks of bucks are from Mars and does are from Venus. The group continue to move towards home and are starting to recognise terrain they'd passed through before. Bigwig and Hazel talk a bit. Bigwig remarks that the fox who got the doe was certainly the same who'd gotten mallow days before. Hazel's leadership is continuing to grow in wisdom. He suggests that the matter of the loss of the doe is closed and accepts equal responsibility as Bigwig. However, this is soon interrupted by other visitors. Four large rabbits, and we already know that they're Ephrathans. Again, the pre-chapter quote makes sense. Campion probably General Wundewort's most capable and trusted subordinate, has managed to catch up with and intercept the group. Once again, the efficiency of Ephraffer is evident. Hazel addresses him directly, given that he's heard of him. Silver makes a smart move when he seems to almost whisper a message to Thethuthinang, who slips away quickly. He then pulls off a bluff that Elakre Ra would appreciate when he states, quote, I've sent for the white bird, Hazel, end quote. He does not address him as Hazel Ra. Was this deliberate, as Silver was one of the first Sandalford Rabbits to use the title in front of others? In this case, and especially because he's been in Ephrafa, he's not going to give away who their chief is. This is a very smart move, and may indicate that not giving away who the chief is was a deliberate tactic by the group as a whole, even though it is never discussed in the narrative. Another piece of evidence for this is Hazel's response to being asked if Slaley sent him in an upcoming chapter. The Bluff Works Campion is part of a very small group and looks up nervously. Hazel points out that Campion really has no chance of success and is badly outnumbered. More rabbits appear, and it's clearly because of Silver's message to Thethuthinang. Campion himself seems to realize that he's acted rashly. This is not his norm, and it's an effective parallel to the time that Holly came out to arrest Bigwig and Silver when they left Sandalford. Campion makes things worse for himself and tries to counter-bluff Hazel, stating that he's got more rabbits and that the does must stay so that they can be taken back to Ephrafer. This does not work. Hazel tells Campion to have those other rabbits show themselves, then orders Silver and Blackberry to escort the does away. A smart move. Take away what the Ephraferans are really after. Blackavar issues some quick advice to Hazel, that this small group of Ephraferans must be killed. We can see why, and Hazel had also thought of this. However, Hazel does not want any more losses, and we know that this just isn't the kind of leader he is. One of the things that makes Hazel such a great leader is his overall sense of morality. He then exercises a great deal of authority, basically ordering Campion and his companions off, even telling them not to speak. This will be no debate. Campion's common sense wins out, and the small Ephraim group departs. This is quite amazing and you can imagine how Woundwalk will eventually receive this news. The movement of the group continues, and soon they know they're close to Watership Down. Buckthorn is the first Watership Down rabbit to see members of the group, and happily greets Hazel, Ra and Dandelion. Hazel shares some news that sizes up just how successful the Watership Down foray into Ephra has, has been, when he states, We've got a lot of does, and everyone who went has come back. End quote. We also learn that Clover will kindle, meaning that she's pregnant. It is Strawberry who delivers this news, so this may mean that he is the father. We learn that a total of twenty rabbits have returned from this expedition, those being all eleven Watership Down bucks who set off, the eight surviving Effraffen does, and the Effraf and buck Blackavar. They all gather in the wonderful and welcoming honeycomb, the heart of the Watership Down Warren. To hear a telling of all that has occurred. The chapter closes with an account of Campion and his wide patrol. Yes, they departed when Hazel told them to, but they also shadowed the large group heading towards Watership Down. So they learned the location of where Thlaly came from. They'll return to Efrafa with this knowledge and the pre-chapter quote now takes on a deeper and more foreboding meaning. One final note from the Efraffan perspective. Efraffa enjoys a certain amount of prestige. Prestige is a nice thing that earns you respect, but it can also be damaged. Efraffa generally gets done what it sets out to do. They've organised a large and mostly successful warren with intricate rules designed to protect its population. They have plans for everything. When they set out to increase their numbers via invasion, it works. There isn't just a Chief Rabbit, but also a Council and an Owsler and even an Owslaffer that is more intricate and organised than what you'd find in any other warren. Well, they've just been made to look like fools. A rabbit who basically invited himself into their warren after getting an Owsler member killed turned out to be a spy. To top this, the spy facilitated the escape of Hreer Doze and successfully linked up with a security party that was holed up just beyond the Iron Road. Somehow they had a white bird working with them and this bird acted as a liaison for the spy. The overall group, including the stolen does, managed to get away and in a way that significantly chipped away at the great prestige of Ephrafa. Ephrafa looks foolish and Ephrafa, more specifically General Woundwort, will not be made to look this way. Who else? What other rabbits and other animals will hear of this? This damage to Ephrafa's prestige must be avenged. Next time, a bit of comic relief as we hear the tale of Rousby Woof, who represents all that rabbits dislike about dogs. Before long, the rabbits of Watership Down will be very grateful that dogs exist.